The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, August 29th, the Am I a Spoiled Brat edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate and I'm the author of How to Be a Family, coming at you in 20 days. I'm the dad of Harper, who is 12, and Lyra, who is 14. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer and contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column and cultural critic uh, based in New York. And I am mom to Naima, who is six. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and true crime podcaster in New Hampshire. And I am mom to Henry, who is 18, Teddy, who is 16, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. Hello, everyone. I'm so delighted to have all three of us together today. I'm just sorry that Naima can't join us. Today on the show, we've got a question from a caller who feels that her mom isn't really doing her share on the grandma front, but she worries, am I a spoiled brat? Plus, we counsel a caller who's agonizing about how to explain to a child why her dad isn't in her life. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. So let's start out with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I've got a triumph. It's a really good one. Teddy... Got a job, guys. Like a real after school job. He went in, he did the in person interview. He's going Thursday to fill out his W 9 and all that stuff. I could not be more excited. Uh, this is he got he got the job at a very very beloved uh, grocery store chain known for its incredible labor practices here in New England, and it uh, happens to be the grocery store that I shop at. Um, but yesterday, when I found you can out, say the name. In, it's Market Basket. And if you want to okay. know anything about Market Basket, there was an incredible news story around it a few years ago that had to do with feuding cousins and the entire staff of the store of all the whole chain going on strike. It's a very, like, beloved brand here in New, in New England. Weird, But, Rebecca, cheap. why are you telling these people where your son is going to be? <laughs> well, there's many Market Baskets. They don't necessarily need to know. Okay. <laughs> well, make up a pretend one and say that's the one he works at. <laughs> but how am I going to go there um, and tip him directly if I don't know exactly where he works? Yeah, no, I don't think the kids at Market Basket are allowed to accept tips. They they get paid really well though. They start them at like twelve or fifteen bucks an hour or something like that. So um anyway, he's really excited. I got this news yesterday at about the same time here at work. We found out that uh, we were finalists for like a big journalism award. I swear oh, to God, I was more excited about the grocery store job than I was about the journalism <laughs> award. I was like, this is like the culmination of, you know, a lot of prodding and prompting. And um, finally, I, dis- I discussed it with my ex-husband, his dad, last week. And I just was really straight with him. And I was like, you know, I know that we both really want Teddy to do this. And in my experience... Teddy needs more support and just getting these kinds of things done than other kids in this family do. Uh, And we just have to help him. We have to like either like go on a ride with him to go there or just like really like pave the path. Obviously not like do it for him, but like make sure in every step of the way he does it because he doesn't have that kind of brain where he's like, I need to do this in two days and then you can trust that he will. So anyway, I'm super excited. I'm really hopeful that it works out. He's got a bunch of friends who work in the same store he's going to be working at. So he's excited. And uh, it could end up being, you know, a whole thing where, like, it interrupts a bunch of other scheduled stuff. But we'll see. In the meantime, application in, interview done, job gotten is my huge triumph of the week. Aww. That's really great. Uh, can I ask a question about this job? Sure. Do you know yet how they handle conveying the schedule to everyone like how is that information delivered 
Uh, and how will he know about it? And do you worry about you keeping track of it? Um, now that he's driving, I worry about that a lot less than I would have before. Um, because really, the consequence to him if he messes up the schedule stuff is on him, you know? So um, I haven't thought about it, but thank you for giving me something to now fret, o- fret over. And, <laughs> good, good. and I will find out. I, I mean, I do know that like a lot of kids work at this place. So. How bad can it be? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. But I will let you know when that happens. I worked retail in high school all the way through college. And I remember that being like the worst, like finding out on Friday what your schedule was for the following week and having to tell your parents, like, I can't go to Aunt Linda's or whatever for the barbecue because right. I have to work. And what a right. bummer that was. So I don't know. I asked because Lyra got a job this summer, too. And the scheduling was done through this insane process uh, involving like sending an email and then checking a Google Doc and then confirming the Google Doc via email. And like because Lyra has a brain like Teddy's where she also is not going to be a person to like just like nail it, you know, to like say you have to do this this on this day and it'll definitely get done. It meant we were fo- doing a ton of following up to help her and support her throughout the process. It, it, we ended up owning that as much as she did in a way that I sometimes found frustrating. Hmm. Cautionary tale. <laughs> uh, all right. I have a triumph as well. Um, so since the day that Lyra was born uh, 14 years ago, one simple question has dominated uh, parenting discussions between Holly and me. I would say that we have talked about this important issue more than we've talked about the role of religion in our family's life or nutrition or education or anything. The question was, when will our children be old enough to watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer? (laughs) So we were on vacation this past week, and we have finally decided that the answer was 14 and 12. So in between hiking through the mountains and tubing down a river and going to Dollywood, we sat in our little cabin in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and we binged all of season one with them, and they loved it. So wait, I I have to ask, was this a matter of, okay, we sat down, we thought about it, 12 is the age, you know, um, big homie missed out on it two years ago, but now, you know, we're ready, we're just going to show you together, or was it we've run out of things to do on this vacation and so now the show we were going to wait you were, until you were a little bit older to share with you. Just watch it. Damn, we give up. No, it was not. It was we packed the DVDs and decided, all right, this is going to be it. This is th- On this vacation, we are, in addition to all the other things we are doing, we are introducing the show to our children. We cannot wait a second longer. Uh, and we were really nervous about what their response would be because, like, I have – been able to handle fine if Lyra doesn't like a book that I liked or if Harper hears a song or that, you know, that I think is really great and she thinks it's stupid. Like, that's fine. But if our children had rejected Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a show that is mm-hmm. not only like generally the greatest, but is also like specifically perfect for <laughs> teenage <laughs> girls and tween mm-hmm. girls who are like trying to figure out the world. I don't know what the fuck we would have done. Like, we would have had to leave them on the roadside. Um, And usually we try to play it cool when we introduce stuff to them that, like, is important to us in some way. Like, you know, 
oh, this is a pretty fun movie. You might like it. It's just, you know, it's just about some kid named Lloyd Dollar. He likes kickboxing. You want to check it out? But we could not pull it off in this case. We were like, okay, this is the greatest show of all time and you're going to love it or else. So here we go. Um, but they really loved it. They laughed a lot and they like gasped and they think that Buffy is really brave and they love Willow and they freaked out uh, when Buffy learned that Angel is a vampire. Spoiler warning for season one of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, and they <laughs> were really of limitations moved. Is, is up on that Yeah, it's one. fine. It's well, it's well exhausted in my opinion. Um, and they were really moved by the finale, which is like the season one finale of that show is very serious and sad and full of grief. And it was really good. And they loved it. And it really meant a lot to me um, to like sh- to share this thing that formed a lot of my thinking about girlhood and womanhood and high school and the way that art can take those questions seriously. Um, and also something that was like really important to us, to me and Alia, to like the, to the early years of our relationship. Um, and you know, and it was great that it was not spinach. It was a funny show about dating and clothes and magic and adventure. The only thing that went wrong is that the night after we watched the finale, Harper was too scared to sleep. And so she had to sleep in our bed. Uh, and now she thinks maybe we should only watch Buffy during the day because it's terrifying. But still, mm. a signature oh. triumph in our parenting lives. Congratulations. Thank you. Jamila, what about you? Do you have a triumph or fail this week? Do I have? You know, well, as you all know, I haven't really been parenting this summer. So uh, it's a little Triumph. <laughs> That's a triumph, I suppose. But I recommended that already. Remember I said get away from your kids? Um, that yep. was a few weeks ago. But I will uh, acknowledge, and and they're both kind of private, and, and so I won't say too much about it. But, like, my mom and my daughter's um, dad's mom, my ex's mom, who live in the same city, they, they still live in our hometown, are going out for dinner tomorrow. And I think that's really, really cool. They've never had a relationship of their own. Um, you know, when uh, when we were dating, we lived in New York. They lived in Chicago. So there wasn't a lot of forced, you know, social interaction between the two of them. Um, they, they've always been pleasant to one another, but they don't, you know, get to know each other. And they're both single ladies in the same city and, you know, have a good amount of free time on their hands. So I'm, I'm very excited about Naima's two grandmothers hanging out, not to, to discount her step-grandmother, I should say, but that the, these two of her multitude of grandmothers um, are going to be bonding. Hmm. That's so That's delightful. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. That is a great triumph. Did you help to facilitate this in some way, or are you just taking credit for what you <laughs> I'll take a uh, – somewhere in the middle. Um, <laughs> I'll say her paternal grandmother had, you know, had raised the question a few times. And um, I said, okay, you know, I'll connect you with my mom, I'll connect you with my mom. And I kind of – you know, I didn't push her because my mom's a little bit on the shyer side sometimes. Um, she's she's friendly, but she can be a little shy. So I said, you know, this would mean a lot to Naeem and I. If you, you know, just step out your comfort zone, go hang out. So she's going to do it. This is great. I mean, listeners, longtime listeners of the podcast will have heard plenty of fails involving my relationship with uh, my parents. Um, Mm. And so it's always good to have a triumph involving grandparents as well. Yep. Agreed. All right. Before we move on, let's talk some business. Slate's parenting newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including new episodes of Mom and Dad are Fighting, Care and Feeding, Jamila's great column, and everything else that Slate does about family life. Please sign up for it. It's also just an email that I send to 2,785 of my closest friends. Uh, You can sign up for it at (laughs) slate.com slash parenting email. It comes out every Thursday just after the podcast comes out. 
As always, if you have a question you would like us to answer on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at momanddad at slate.com. And check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook to find the Slate Parenting Facebook community. Uh, it is a really nice group of people. They are very non-judgmental. We had a lot of very tough questions on the Facebook page this week, and people are really helpful and useful in response. And if people are not helpful and useful, I ban them. I love it. In Slate Plus today, Rebecca is going to tell us all about taking a child to college. She mm. did it last week after recording the podcast. Did it go smoothly? What is his roommate like? How hard did you cry? We will hear all about it. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you are a Slate Plus member. It was super cool. It was so, so cool. I, I, I recommend a college move-in. <laughs> I recommend it. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's our membership program here at Slate.com. It's a great way to support everything we do. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad Are Fighting and your other favorite Slate shows. And, of course, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other great podcasts, plus a ton of other great benefits. So support Mom and Dad Are Fighting. Support Slate.com. Go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus. That's Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Business concluded. Let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're going to answer two listener questions today. The first one was emailed to us and is being read once again by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Hi, Mom and Dad are fighting. I grew up with my parents having some ups and downs in finances, but for the most part, we were pretty middle class. Fast forward to my life now. I've been married for five years and have two sweet little boys, 27 months and 11 months old. I'm finding that my mom and her husband don't prioritize seeing or spending time with us unless it is convenient for them and frequently ask us to go to great lengths to make it happen. I have mostly reconciled with the selfishness involved and realized they may think they want to be great grandparents but aren't willing to actually make it a priority. My dilemma comes with the work it takes to make visits with them happen. They live two and a half hours from the nearest airport with no direct flights. So we have to fly with both small boys on two flights and then make the drive to their house. Whenever we decide to visit, my mom swears up and down she'll help me out, but again, isn't super invested, and her life goes on while I deal with all the normal parent stuff. They have a large, older home that they have begun and stalled renovating, so there's only one space for us to stay in upstairs. The bed is small and terribly uncomfortable, and also squeaky. I have tried mentioning things like 
getting a new bed or finishing the other bathroom upstairs. But the answer is they just don't have the money or my husband just won't do it. They built a brand new swimming pool in the backyard, so the money excuse for not traveling to see us or anything else is frustrating. Then comments are made such as, sorry our house isn't the Ritz. I feel like a spoiled brat for having these issues, but it is so exhausting to make the trip and be there that I break down every single time. Do I continue to do it because it's quote unquote worth it? Or do I put my foot down and stop going? And if that's the answer, how do I explain that to my super sensitive mother without ruining our relationship? Thanks. Mm. And the real nugget of the question there is at the very end when she discloses that her mother is super sensitive, right? Like that is the real uh, nut of the question. Um, And somewhat surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Up until that point, this was like it's an easy question to answer. I'm just going to say that first. But up until that point, I was like, this all seems very straightforward. Mm -hmm. But the real issue here is that you, this writer in her, obviously has a very hard time communicating with her mom because of the fallout that happens when she does. Mm -hmm. Um, But let me just put that aside for a second and address the practical issues that this writer in her asked. First of all, you have an 11-month-old and a 27-month-old. You are not obligated to go see anyone at any time, even if it's easy. Like, this is the time in your parenting life where a reasonable person any reasonable person, if you were to say to them, hey, traveling right now, especially with not, with connecting flights and lots of car rides, it's really challenging and stressful and frankly, not fun for anybody in our family and really disruptive. And why don't we just hold off on these kinds of visits until the kids are a little bit older? Uh, another practical thing you could do at this point is I'm assuming that uh, you and your spouse are paying for you guys to all go out and travel to see your parents. Um, perhaps you could offer, if they put up the money excuse, to probably for the same cost or a little bit less, fly them to visit you. It would likely cost the same. Uh, You would be in your environment. The kids could stay on their schedule. Um, And, you know, your mom wouldn't be able to go about her daily life because she would be where you are. So that's a couple practical things. The other thing that I wanted to address that's practical is the issue around the, the comfort of the house. Again, you have a toddler and a baby. Um, I grew up in a home full of early American antiques. I totally feel this part of the question. (laughs) Like when my parents moved from New York up to Vermont about 10 years ago, they bought an even bigger house and put even more early American antiques in it, which means uncomfortable beds held together by rope and, you know, dining room chairs that like you can't even lean back on a little bit because the entire thing could collapse. Uh, Super uncomfortable everything. And, you know, and even my in-laws who are like lovely and wonderful and super easygoing, like they just have like 30-year-old mattresses in their house. So their beds are really uncomfortable. And I have at many, many points said to both sets of parents, yeah, we'd love to come see you. We're going to come for that occasion. We're going to come for that wedding. We're going to come for this holiday. But just for like the comfort of everybody involved and so that we don't like take over your space with all of our stuff that we have to bring for these little kids – We're just going to like hotel at this one time, if that makes sense. Or, you know, why don't we do it at our house where the kids have a bedtime and they're surrounded by their own things and it's easier. So, again, with an 11-month-old and a 27-month-old, a reasonable person 
would be fine with this. And uh, especially if, you know, you were very clear that, like, you have a lot to do anytime you leave your own environment. Now, the none of the question being that your mom is sensitive this is the thing that I would tell you if we were friends and we were out for a glass of wine talking about this. You have to focus your energy on raising these two little people. And I so appreciate where your heart is in terms of wanting to maintain a relationship with parents that sound like they're kind of difficult in myriad ways. Your heart is in the right place, which means by default, you're going to do better than I would do probably in a lot of situations. You sound very patient. I'm guessing that you probably like pick up the phone when your mom calls. I'm guessing you probably text her back. I'm guessing you probably keep her apprised of all the things that you feel like she needs to be, you know, in the loop on. Um, But what you don't have to do is change your life to accommodate the fact that she's difficult to communicate with. Like, you don't have to prioritize that anymore. You really want to set the standard for your family and your family's comfort and your family's happiness, not just at the holidays, but all year round, that the things that are miserable and stressful and difficult and eggshell walking, Ani, like, you don't have to prioritize those things. So you are allowed, I personally am giving you permission as your imaginary wine-drinking friend to say to your mom, I am afraid to communicate things to you sometimes because you're very sensitive and sometimes I think your reaction is disproportionate and then I avoid talking to you. But this is really important. Right now, it's super hard for us to travel to visit you. Our kids are really young. You know, as you know, the space issues are, you know, one thing. But just like the travel part is really stressful. I don't think it's a lot of fun for anybody. So for the next couple of years, can we just do it differently? Just know that my heart's in the right place. I love you. I know you want to be a good grandparent. But like, we can't do it this way anymore. And if she freaks out, I give you permission to say, Mom, This is why I was afraid to have this conversation with you. I really do want to have a good relationship with you, but I can't do it like this. Why don't we talk when, you know, we can kind of do it and do it pragmatically and without us having to walk on eggshells around each other's sensitivities. So let's do it by email. Give me a call back. Maybe we can get together, you and I, at some point. But, like, you don't have to stay on the phone. You actually are allowed to hang up and have the conversation at a different time. And that, to me, is kind of like the real nugget of this email. But for God's sakes— Stop dragging your 11-month-old and 27-month-old on these terrible trips that are no fun for anybody. It does not sound like there's much of an upside. So, you know, maybe fly your parents out to visit you instead. They have a pool, though. (laughs) (laughs) That seems fun. Everybody loves a pool. Yeah. Um, This is very – that was very cogent and firm advice, Rebecca, and I'm grateful that you have delivered in that way. I think you are right – that uh, the nut of the question is the mom sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And I worry that your answer is giving the mom more credit for her eventual ability to see the light and be rational than might be there. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just saying you should stop caring about it. Let's <laughs> be clear. I <laughs> but I guess my worry is she cares. Like the, I don't know that this letter writer can stop caring about it. I say this as someone who has been unable to stop caring about it in situations like this uh, with family, I'll say broadly. Um, and so, and so I've found that often in situations like this, I have to think about what is the thing that I want most. 
even if it means that the way that I get it is suboptimal. And sometimes I've had to make the choice that the thing I want most is for my kids to have a relationship with people in my life. And so I sometimes have to just grit my teeth and fucking put up with the shit that comes with it in order to make that happen. And I agree with you that if you can convince your mom and and her husband to fly out, that's so much better. If you can't, but you can just tell them we're going to stay in a hotel, that's so much better. But if none of those things are possible, if the result of these conversations is your mom flat out refusing to do this stuff or or a, an argument so violent that it like sets your relationship back for like for months, sometimes you just got to fucking do the thing, you know? And like one thing that this letter made me curious about is how often this is occurring. Like the letter, the tone of the letter is like we're making these flights and driving two and a half hours every quarter or something, which was obviously insane. Um, like that's a, uh, that's a dumb thing to subject your toddlers to and yourself to. But like if it's once a year, if you got to once a year get on the stupid flights and rent the stupid fucking car and stay in the squeaky bed, like maybe you just got to do that. If, if the goal is to have your kids and your mom together on Christmas, right? Am I being too like much of a pushover? No, I don't think so. I think I think once a year is fair. <laughs> um, you know, I'll just add that I, I think you both gave very fair um, advice. There's some variables I was curious about. And, of course, we're not going to get, um, you know, clarity on that now. But I wonder, uh, one, how old her mother is, you know, because there are grandmothers that are certainly in their 50s or 60s and may get along. I'm sorry, get around. Uh, really well and, and love playing with babies and dealing with them and are all excited about that. And then there are some that, you know, maybe they're a little bit older or maybe they're not that much older, um, but they're just not really about that grandmother life. You know, I um, my paternal grandmother was one of those ladies. She was uh, until she got older and became a little bit more Sophia Petrillo. She was a bit of a Blanche Devereaux um, and, and wasn't terribly excited about having little kids run around her well-appointed home. And, you know, she was happy going out to brunch and stuff with us and, and sitting down and talking. But she wasn't really grandmotherly, you know. And so I wonder if this woman is, even though these are just, you know, still very small, squishy people, that she's not terribly grandmotherly. Um, so she's not... And, and and because of that, and, and because of maybe some other personality issues, she's not really wired to think about accommodating um, this family, her family in her home. Also, right. she's not going to go the extra mile. She's not going to go the extra mile for a thing that she's not her. kind of, you know, she may not be over the, the moon about. Um, two, that was interesting that the letter writer mentioned her background or her upbringing. Right. So it sounds like grandma has had a class change to some extent, that she did not have very much when she was raising her children. And now she has this husband who ostensibly is not uh, somebody who was her husband when she was raising the letter writer. And they've got a, a house with these antiques in the pool. And she she might have moved on up, you know, Jefferson style. And, and may not, maybe she's struggling in some way to integrate her family into that. And it's, it's not that, you know, the letter writer says her husband 
is also from a pretty well-to-do background. But, you know, maybe the husband's not really into kids. Maybe they're in a community of people that don't really have children around. And, and, and that's just something you do at other times. You go visit them. They don't come to our houses. We, you know, sit on the veranda and, and drink International House coffee or whatever. You know, I um, it, it just, again, it, it feels to me like there's something that you would want for a grandmother to have that that she simply does not. And it's really hard to force those sort of instincts into so. And so I'm with Dan in, in saying that, yes, I think it's totally fair for the letter writer and her family to suck it up, say, once a year and or for there to be a conversation and agreement about, um, you know, when that'll be and, and planning it well in advance and, you know, them being able to make some accommodations on their own. So getting a pack and play for the kids since the bed is squeaky, you know, maybe buying a mattress pad, doing some things on their own to make the trip more comfortable because she and her husband have made it clear that they're not willing to do that. But I would also say things aren't good as they are right now. So I understand that she's worried about triggering her mother's sensitivity, but you're already in a bad place. So you can be upset or y'all can be upset together. (laughs) And me personally, myself, I have no problem bringing anybody down into the madness with me, you know, uh, in, in certain situations, particularly if they are in some way, be it intentionally or unintentionally, directly responsible for my discomfort. So I understand that that's your mother and you love her and, and you don't want to upset her. But but you can't be sensitive about your feelings and then insensitive to the comfort of your family. You know, there's four of them. It, it, that, that's a lot of people in a squeaky bed. And, and for her to not seem to hear her daughter when she's saying that is pretty unfortunate. Yeah, she's parenting up. And that's really hard. It's just, it's super hard to parent up when you have two little kids. I mean, if you have one little kid, if you have zero kids, it's super hard to parent up. My mom and I have broken up before. Like, yeah, (laughs) like we've taken breaks. That's so interesting. It's just like, it would never dawn on me that to ever do that. Like to, like, and I guess maybe I'm just like too passive aggressive or too wimpy about this. But, like, I would much rather maintain a surface level of peace, even at the cost of my own discomfort, than to get in some fucking high drama shit with my mom or my dad or anyone. I would just, I would let almost anything go to avoid that bullshit. Hmm. Uh, and, like, I, I don't think that that's better necessarily, but it's definitely not the way I'm wired to ever do that. I'm curious hmm. if this letter writer could do the almost certainly healthy thing that Rebecca suggests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, uh, Letter Writer, for writing in. Uh, you gave us a lot of food for thought. I'm very curious how this uh, ends up playing out. Um, I think we all, at the very least, agree that you should try to get them to fly out to visit you. Like, that's a great starting point. <laughs> so absolutely do that, for God's sake. Absolutely, yes. Um, If you have a question that you would like us all to disagree about and plumb our own personal neuroses in relation to, email us at momanddad at slate.com. Let's move on to question number two. Hi, mom and dad. My granddaughter is five and was fathered by a man that has never been in her life. He is abusive and has a criminal record, so we do not want him in her life in any way. He hasn't ever tried to contact us and hopefully never will. I am co-parenting her with my daughter. We are struggling to figure out how to handle explaining why she doesn't have a father in a way that won't scare her or make her feel bad. Other children ask her where he is. I'd like to give her enough information so that there is no big surprise in her future and doesn't shake her security in the family she has. The situation is very stressful for us. 
Please help find an acceptable way to explain the situation to this sweet child. Thank you. Stressed Grandma. Oh, boy. Um, so this is a situation that I have not experienced personally, but I, I have friends and colleagues and folks I know who, who've had to manage something like this. And, you know, it's certainly not easy. I'm very, um, you know, I'll just express my admiration for the letter writer for stepping up and standing in the gap and helping her daughter um, with with something as difficult as, as single parenting and for her to be co-parenting as opposed to simply saying, you know, I babysit here and there. I, um, you know, I take her on weekends. I help out a little bit. It sounds like she's taking a very um, proactive role in raising this child. She's five, now is um, the point where you can have a conversation about how babies are made. I would say talk to her, um, and, and this could be a conversation for the three of you, or it could just be the little one and her mom. I think it would probably be the best that all of you all were present and explain that at one point, um, you know, mommy and a, a man had a relationship that had to end because this particular person, who is her father by blood, um, was not able to do the things that a father needs to do. And here you can make the distinction between what it means to be a biological parent versus an active parent and that not everyone um, is raised by, and I don't want to, I want to be clear on not to say that has the privilege to be raised by, but not everyone um, is raised by the two people that came together um, and created their life uh, or the two people who's, you know, baby making stuff was put together to create their life, that there are a lot of ways that little people come into the world. There are a lot of different types of families and the family that she has is not simply adequate. It is one that is, um, ordained by love and with two people that are intentional about making sure that she has everything that she needs to be happy and to be healthy and to be surrounded by good things, but that her biological father is not someone who is capable of doing those things for her. And I would not go too far with explaining um, some of the vile things that he's done and been associated with, but just that he's someone who is not a healthy, happy, and kind person at this point. Um, and that, unfortunately, they don't have any reason to believe that that's going to change. Um, with that, I, I would also explore ways to bring a, not necessarily a father figure, because there are lots of, you know, there are a lot of ways to be a family again, and, and you don't have to have a father figure, but an adult male presence in her life that is stable and um, able to engage with her in, in ways that her mother and grandmother perhaps cannot. Of course, you know, a trusted person, somebody who may be spending time with the grandmother or with the mother and the child um, so that she has the opportunity to express uh, or sorry, the opportunity to experience the love of a man, which I think um, little girls should experience before they start to seek it out through um, romantic relationships later in life. Um, but again, while being clear that this is, this is a situation that is unlikely to change, 
Um, if the mother is dating or, you know, is open to the possibility of partnering with someone long term in the future. Um, and if that person were a man, she can say that, you know, there is a there is a chance that one day you may have a stepfather. Um, and, and if it's not a stepfather, maybe a stepmother, but that, you know, that the family, that the construction of the family may not always look like this. But um, also, I think it's important to emphasize that you were not an accident. I wanted you, you know, regardless of of that's entirely true or not. Um, I, I think at this point, what she needs to hear that I was happy to have you. Your grandmother and I are, you know, happy and proud to be raising you. And you have all of the love that you need. There is nothing um, that you that you don't have that you require. And that there's nothing that she did or, or could do differently herself as a little person um, to change the, the, the situation with her father. That, that there is nothing about him that is going to make her a bad person. She's not going to follow the path that he did. She's not going to, um, she's, not, she's not tainted. She's not broken. She's whole and she's loved and her family is whole. That's what I, I think that's how I would approach that. Hmm. I think that's really good advice. One thing I'm curious about is I wonder if the that last little bit, the message, you are not tainted, you are not broken, you are whole, is something that's better delivered through action than through words. Obviously, this mother and this grandmother dearly love this child, and the tone of the letter suggests to me that um, that they do treat her wonderfully. Um, and... I would be nervous about sort of raising this idea in a kid's head that some imagined or real flaw in your biological father might make you feel like you're tainted or broken or in some way not whole. And instead, I would maybe just continue to do all the things that you are already doing to make her see how loved she is and how full and complete your family is. Um, and, and I might make that less overt and more covert. You know, the only thing that the, the reason that I, I thought of that, um, and I certainly see how that could, um, you know, you, you don't want to plant a seed that's not there. But I, at five or six, you know, you start noticing I have brown hair. My mom has brown hair. I have blue eyes. My mom has blue eyes, you know, and, and seeing her, her classmates and their parents and, and, you know, this person looks like their father, this person's, you know, t- short like their dad or tall like their dad. So I would I would hate for her to connect some dots or wonder, OK, well, if this is something that he has, you know, am I also going to be like um, him? But I agree that that's not something that you have to, to see it in her head, but perhaps just to be prepared for the possibility that she may yeah. worry. Yeah. I mean, I I think this is a a really good age to be proactive about that really positive conversation. You know, school is sort of ramping up now. Five, you know, I don't know if this little kid is going into kindergarten or first grade or, you know, whatever kind of year she's in. But like you sort of think about the social interactions she'll have. You think about the questions she might ask and address them before she asks them. And I think it is a really good idea to point out the many, many wonderful positive things about your family and how all families 
families do look different. Even families that have a mom and a dad can look very different uh, from one another. You know, families that have two moms, families that have two dads, families that have a grandparent and a mom or a grandparent and a dad or two grandparents and sort of celebrate that difference and say all those wonderful positive things and, and be wonderful and positive, which it sounds like you are. And then just keep your mind open to the idea that she will have different questions as she gets older and you will address them more honestly and differently as she gets older, as is age appropriate. There will likely come a point where she'll ask very pointed questions about like, who is my biological father? What happened? And you'll know when the age is right to say, I, you know, we had we had a terrible relationship. Uh, he wasn't good to me. He wasn't just not ready to be a dad, but no, he wasn't somebody that I, you know, I, I wouldn't want you to see that kind of relationship that we you know it was it was really it was healthy for me to not be with him. I mean, you can share that information in dribs and drabs as she gets older and ask those questions. You shouldn't feel any pressure to share it all now <laughs> with a five year old. So I think definitely grounding it around those very positive messages about what your family looks like, uh, how wonderful it is and how it is one of many variants uh, that a family can be and still be a really strong family is the place I would start with this conversation. That's exactly, um, I think, what Jamila said. And as you were talking, Jamila, I was just like nodding, 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 nodding over here. Thank you. Can I also say, um, stressed grandma, I'm sorry that you guys are feeling very stressed about the situation, but shout out to you, stressed grandma, for being so grandmotherly. I bet you wouldn't leave a squeaky bed upstairs for your daughter to sleep in. You sound great. <laughs> I just like, you know, the letter was so sweet and they are so clearly nervous and worried about this. And I agree with you, Jamila, that the extent to which this grandmother has like bought in and and that she refers to herself as a co-parent is like totally fantastic. And um which leads me to feel that this kid is going to be okay, that she has two people looking out for her um, who are thinking hard about how to raise her and worrying about it in, in all the right ways. Uh, and even though they emailed us for advice, I still think they're going to have a really great time raising this kid and it's all going to go great. I think so, too. All right. Um, if you have a question you would like to email us, please send it to momanddad at slate.com. We'll do our best. And at the very least, you'll get to hear Shasha read it out loud. Let's move on to recommendations. Rebecca, what do you have to recommend for us today? I've got an awesome show on Netflix that I know I'm late to. I don't care. It's just such a wonderful palate cleanser. I'm loving it so much. It's called Dairy Girls. It takes place in the 1990s in uh, Derry or Londonderry in Northern Ireland. Depending on who you are, you call the town by a different name. And it is one of the sharpest, most laugh-out-loud, funny shows with, like, the snappiest teenage dialogue. I've really—I mean, talking about Buffy earlier and just, like, the beautiful writing for, you know, teenage characters in that show— this is like that, but completely different, <laughs> completely different. Um, it's just a wonderful uh, sort of comedy, short episodes on Netflix. So, so fun. There's also sort of bigger themes there about living in a conflict zone, which kind of pop out in unexpected and moving ways through 
what is really just an incredibly nostalgic look back at the 1990s and an incredibly sharp look at the world through the minds of teenagers who are much smarter and funnier than they have any right to be. So I'm loving Dairy Girls. Uh, we binge the whole first season in one night, and we're starting season two tonight, and I really can't recommend it highly enough. Dairy Girls is great. I'm going to take this opportunity to plug um, the most read piece I've written for Slate.com this year, which was a tribute to the insane faces that the star of Dairy Girls, Saoirse yes. Monica Jackson, makes in every episode. Uh, <laughs> we will post a link on the show page. Um, she is incredible. The show is hilarious. Uh, it is really, really, really good. A great look at insane, funny, horny teenagers. I love it. <laughs> great recommendation. Jamila, what about you? Well, uh, as we discussed before we started today's podcast, I recently had an epidural. And Dan didn't know that you could get epidural. I think the plural of epidural is epidural, if I'm not mistaken. That, that you could get an epidural um, when you weren't delivering a child. And ironically, it, it blew my mind. Like, he didn't know he could have one because he's not planning on delivering a child. So... I have been getting them for about a year, every four months or so for a chronic back injury. Um, so I, of course, cannot and, and would not recommend any particular course of treatment as I am not a doctor or a medical professional. But um, I will share with the audience the advice that was shared with me by a, a friend who has the same um, sort of injury that I do, which is herniated discs and pinched sciatic nerve. Check out um, your local pain management specialist. It's a type of doctor that most people do not know exists. They have access to a number of courses of treatment um, from medical marijuana, depending where you live, to epidural, um, or, you know, prescription medications, et cetera. And again, it has um, most people don't know they're around. Most people don't know that they can find them and they think if they're having a back problem, they have to see a chiropractor. Um, but you have other options. And. The one that I go to uh, is in Brook. I should shout. Let me shout them out. Maybe they'll give me a discount because they're a little expensive. Um, Physiologic <laughs> on Fulton um, has, in addition to the pain management uh, specialist that I see, Dr. Palvia, they have a whole Pilates studio and I think maybe yoga even and chiropractors and physical therapists. And there are a lot of folks there recovering from sports injuries in particular, as well as car accidents and all that stuff. But again, check out pain management specialists if you are someone who suffers from chronic pain or a recent injury that hopefully will not become chronic pain if you're able to attend to it. And if your injury is like mine, you may find that you, as a non-pregnant person, will be given an epidural. I'm not saying I'm going to fake a back injury <laughs> and walk into one of these places. I'm just saying that when Alia got her epidurals, she, on both occasions, said, the, oh, that's amazing. So I'm just curious. <laughs> All right. Well, I recognize that you're not suggesting that I get a recreational epidural. No. Of course, I would never do so. But that's a good recommendation nonetheless. Uh, all right. I'm recommending uh, a book, two books, in fact, a very sweet middle grade comics series. Uh, the books are written by Shannon Hale and drawn by Liu and Pham. The first book is called Real Friends. And the second book, which just came out this month, is called Best Friends. So they are memoirs. They're um, 
comic mem- comics memoirs of middle grade years. The first one set in fifth grade. This new one that's out just now is set in sixth grade. And they are about girl drama. You know, like they're about friend drama and cliques and fitting in and feeling left out and being tight with people who mean a lot to you and then falling out with them. They're very charming. And what I really like about them is that is how straightforward they are about acknowledging that to many kids this age, like this is what occupies 150% of their brain space. And that's okay. It's okay to be worried about that stuff. It is not like frivolous or stupid to worry about your friends. It, it is normal to worry about them and you shouldn't like make it your whole life, but it's, you shouldn't be shamed for worrying about like how your friendships are going. Um, Harper really loved these books. Friend stuff is very important to her and the books were very meaningful to her. I think they're super worthwhile for kids uh, who are obsessing about this stuff to both give them perspective, but also to um, acknowledge their feelings on this issue. They're called Real Friends and Best Friends by Shannon Hale and Lu Yuan Pham. Uh, we'll post a link on the show page and on Facebook. And that's our show. If you've got a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at slate.com. Join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Jamila Lemieux and Rebecca Lavoy. I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening. Hello. You're hearing me because you're a Slate Plus member. Thank you very, very much for your membership to Slate Plus. It really helps a lot of the things that we do. It helps pay my salary. It helps pay our producer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.